from the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. If you've ever heard the expression Dutch courage, it refers to the Dutch national spirit, Geneva. Often dismissed as just an old version of gin, Geneva is actually a distilled malted spirit, so it is closer to an unaged whiskey. Geneva is one of those spirits that could easily have been lost to history if it wasn't for brands such as Old Duff that have revived some of the original recipes. We talked to the founder of Old Duff Geneva, Philip Duff, about the history of the spirit, what cocktails it works well in, and why Old Duff is well worth having on your home bar. Thank you for joining us, Philip. No, thanks for inviting me. Now, if people aren't sure or don't really know what Geneva is, can you um, explain it? Yeah, so Geneva was once the best-selling export spirit in the world. It's the great-great-grandfather of whiskey, and then much, much further down the line also of gin. It's the national spirit of Holland and the Netherlands, but also some uh, small parts of the adjoining countries of France and Germany, and it's delicious. Right. When you say it's the grandfather of of whiskey and of gin, which side of the fence does it sit? I will go on whiskey because it's a delicious typically unaged grain distillate with tiny amounts of botanicals, including juniper, added to it. Right. Right. No more than you'd add dashes of bitters to an old-fashioned. Right. It's much, much closer to being a, uh, a whiskey. And indeed, whiskies contain botanicals until well into the 17 or even 1800s. But Geneva never changed. Like, drink Geneva is living history. It's like going to the zoo and they have a living T-Rex there. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and gin was sort of attempt to make Geneva that went so far from the original that it created an entirely new product. Okay. Some people associate them, and at one time in history they were very, very close, but they've just kind of drifted very, very far apart, okay. which is great because Geneva's lovely and gin is lovely too. Yeah. Now, does, um, I mean, gin cannot be a gin without having juniper. Is that the same for Geneva, that Geneva can't be... Geneva without having juniper? Exactly, exactly. But it does not have to have a discernible flavor of juniper. Like, legally, one juniper berry in the mash fulfills the requirement. And the interesting thing is, because Geneva is like unaged whiskey, more juniper typically does not make it better. More juniper typically makes gin better, but it doesn't work with Geneva. It's a really masterful addition of a very small amount of a juniper botanical and maybe some other botanicals as well. And you have to judge that really carefully. Okay. So if someone were to try Geneva, um, what sort of flavours are they getting? What? How does it taste in comparison? So Old Duff Geneva, for instance, has a lot of rye in it. The mash is two-thirds rye, one-third barley, five-day fermentation, three times through the pot still. So it's going to taste like an unaged rye whiskey. You're going to get lots of you know, cracked black pepper, rye bread, sort of a doughy, yeasty aroma, uh, a slight fruitiness um, with the 100% malt distillate, the 100% malt wine. You're going to get a a degree of sort of almost tropical funkiness from it as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, those flavors will change depending on the dominant grains in the Geneva that you're drinking. 
Okay, and what sort of, I mean, you said that um, Aldaf is done with uh, rye. What other grains could it possibly? I mean, are we talking wheat and barley and... Yeah, anything, all the bets are off. There's some pretty experiments being done with things like spelt, but it is typically uh, barley, corn and wheat. And okay, it's corn. typically okay. in equal proportions. It doesn't have to be. It's just everybody kind of fits a little traditionally. Dutch Old Dutch Geneva in many ways is traditional, in many ways it isn't. And they tend to just have uh, equal parts mash and they tend to make the malt wine the same way. You can add sugar to Geneva. Old Duff doesn't. So some producers like that. They like to smooth it out a little bit. So mm-hmm. everybody within the parameters gets to make it the way that they like. Okay. All righty. Now, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the spirit and I suppose explain why it did go out of fashion? Yeah, it's a really great question because it started off national spirit of uh, the Netherlands. Back in the day, every spirit was unaged. Every spirit had little amounts of botanicals in it, be it the flavorings that were added to vodka in Eastern Europe, the flavorings that were added to whiskey in Ireland. Like one of the first recorded recipes in writing for Irish ishkabah was Platt's Delight for Ladies in 1611. And that had to every, you know, two gallons of ishkabah add licorice and raisins, right? Which does not sound like a whiskey recipe today, but that's what no. whiskey was. Yeah. And Gene- so Geneva kind of became codified by the end of the 1500s as grain-based, uh, unaged, tiny amount of juniper, maybe some other botanicals. And as the Dutch... East India Company kind of roamed around the world, colonizing the world, bringing back spices. They began to add in other different spices like uh, cardamom, cinnamon, cassia, cloves. Um, When the ships got faster towards the end of the 1800s, they put in orange peel, lemon peel, because the ships could get lemons and oranges back quicker. And it boomed. It boomed. It was a bestseller in Australia, in Indonesia, in Argentina. Its biggest market was the U.S., in the 1850s, the high days of the first golden age of the cocktail, for every one bottle of gin or other spirit that was imported through the port of New York City, 450 bottles of Geneva were imported. Wow. So it was massive. Okay. It's very impressive. Right? It was yeah. incredible. And so a few things killed it off. And one thing was, ironically, dry vermouth. Uh, dry vermouth was a total hit when it was launched at the end of the 1800s in the USA. And it doesn't mix well with whiskey and it doesn't mix well with things that are like whiskey like Geneva so that was Mm. one thing another thing was the invention of the column still the Dutch were a little slow to adopt it and the English on the other hand were really quick to adopt it Mm. especially with gin and that gave them a cost advantage Uh, World War One not great because it was largely conducted in the places where they make Geneva yeah right Uh, American Prohibition closed the tap on the biggest market. Mm. And then World War II completely devastated the Netherlands. And when they rebuilt and restarted the industry, the Dutch thought, well, you know what, all the bets are off. Let's try something different. And they invented a style of Geneva that had almost no malt at all. Instead of having 100% or 70 or 50 or 20, it had like 10, 5, 2, 3, 1%. Essentially, they invented a kind of vodka and they called it Geneva. Yeah. So, ironically, real Geneva died off in the Netherlands and it stayed alive abroad. And 98% of Geneva sales in Holland now are that vodka-like young Geneva, as they call it, which is nothing at all like what we tasted yesterday, for yeah. example. And it's only really coming back now because of the demand, because we're now in the second cocktail golden age. Everyone's gone back, dug up the books. They're packed to the gills with Geneva recipes, like mm. everywhere in the Savoy cocktail book, Jerry Thomas's book, Harry Craddock book. 
um, unless it specifies an actual category of gin, everywhere it says gin, it meant Geneva. The Collins was a Geneva cocktail. The Martinez was a Geneva cocktail. There's even American craft producers trying to make their own kind of Geneva now. So it, time is ripe to make a legitimate uh, version. Right. When you were saying that it uh, was still strong overseas, outside of Europe, what sort of countries was it? The biggest one, ironically, was Argentina. A load of Dutch people went there at the end of the 1800s. Um, Balls, the big Geneva company, actually built a distillery there in 1935. And obviously Argentina was largely unaffected by World War II. In fact, it was the Geneva distilleries of Argentina that supplied the USA and indeed other countries during World War II. Okay. So, and to this day, it's still massive there. Every bar you go to yeah. will have bottles of Ginebra, and it's completely normal to drink. It's sort of like uh, the cowboys drink in Argentina, okay. believe it or not. Geneva outsold vodka in Quebec province in Canada until the end of the 1970s. Really? Yeah. yeah. And even the neighbor of Holland, Belgium, they never got on board with this vodka-like young Geneva thing. And mm. to this day, they still drink more uh, real Geneva than the Netherlands do. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Okay. Now, can you explain the seal of, and I'm probably going to get the pronunciation of this wrong, but um, Shidam? No, very good, very good. Yeah, so the seal of Shidam was a voluntary uh, attempt to set up a sort of a Scotch malt whiskey society, right, right, among the credible Geneva producers of Schiedam, which is the Geneva city of Holland. Like at one stage, this little town of 20,000 people had 392 distilleries in it. Wow. And they kind of saw, oh, God, we've left it a bit too late. So they set up something that was the equivalent of Scotch Malt Whiskey Society saying, okay, to get the seal, you have to make it from 100% malt wine, uh, no sugar, no color. It has to be made in a distillery that doesn't make anything else. We have to inspect it. It has to be between 43 and 48% alcohol. Brilliant legislation, mm. but they made it voluntary. So it never really caught on. Right. And from 1966 to 86, there was none no 100% malt wine Geneva was made with the Cedar Schiedam at all. So an entire category died out. Then one brand started up again in 1986. And then a second brand followed in around 1998. Mm. And then mine, Old Duff Geneva, is the third one, which uh, only launched in 2017. So there's only three in the whole world, which is both sad and uh, it fills me with hope for the future as well. Right. In a lot of ways, the the up and down of Geneva is very similar to the fate of Irish whiskey. So I will say, how did an Irishman end up making Geneva? It's a really good question, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, lots of the same factors like the world wars and the uh, reticence to adopt the column still affected Irish whiskey exactly the same. But I was a young Irish bartender in London, and I had been asked to go to the Netherlands to help set up a bar and I turned it down because I was setting up a bar in the Caribbean but I came back they asked me again and I'm like great okay I'll go and I'll do this but only for three months so I wound up staying for 17 years learned fluent Dutch bought a house got a wife started a bar and I really fell in love with Geneva because I lived right next door to Schiedam in Rotterdam and in learning Dutch, I meant I could do the research that hadn't been translated and learn about these forgotten categories and how it really should be made and go to the Geneva Museum. So it became a real passion. And as a consultant, I was also hired to create um, what is currently the world's best-selling brand, Balls Geneva. So they launched uh, what they called 1820 
10 years ago and I was on the tasting panel on the marketing team I was even one of the copywriters helping to write the back label and that really gave me the idea like oh this is brilliant I'd really love to do you know my own version mm. of this like a very credible alternative to this and that's really what it was although okay. ironically now I live in New York so <laughs> how would you describe I mean you, you said that there are two other brands out there there's also bowls um what made you think that there was a an opening in the market or a need for another Geneva brand? Yeah, it's, again, a great question. Um, most Geneva producers are heavily dependent on the domestic market. They don't export. Like, they don't know what's going on in London, let alone what's going on in New York or Sydney or, or Shanghai. Mm. And I tend to travel to somewhere between 20 and 40 countries a year, so I can see that thirst. I can see the way that people have gone mad for mezcal. Yeah. Right. And I thought, well, look, if you make a really great Geneva and you make it legitimate, maybe you have even a rarer form of it the way we have the old of 100% malt wine, and you tell people the story, they'll want it. So, yeah. for instance, compared to all the other D Dutch brands out there, Old Dove Geneva is 100% milled, mashed, fermented, distilled, and bottled in Holland. There's almost no other brand available internationally that is. That's a really nice thing. Yeah. We've got 100% malt wine with Silas Gidam, which is basically unavailable anywhere else in the world outside Holland and for uh, our engagement we just try to teach about the entire category so I've helped to create the Geneva category training module for the Jerry online educational program and I'll go to every bar show in the world if they'll let me and teach about Geneva I'm going to be uh, going to the Ukraine to give uh, Geneva category training I'll be yeah. in Berlin I'll be in uh, well we're going to do another 10 cities on this tour, I'm going to go from here to Sydney, Singapore, Hong Kong, maybe, and then like seven cities in China. So when people know about the category, they can make informed decisions. And only then does like marketing and trying to like push your own brand kick in. Right. Okay. How difficult has it been actually trying to convince people and especially bartenders who've got so much on their back bars and are sceptical about everything, how difficult has it been to convince them that this is worth a try and worth pursuing? Uh, well, the strategy for my brand is that we just want to be in all the best bars. We want everyone to try it. We want them to put it in a cocktail mm. right, and see the reception. Because if you come off the bat with something that nobody knows and you try to like sell it to chains of bottle shops and hotels, it's not going to work. Like The demand is kind of created at the higher end and then it trickles down. Right. Because people from hotels and bottle shops go to nice cocktail bars and look at it and look at the back bar and think, oh, right, maybe we should get some of this. So that's the whole idea. Most of those people have heard of Geneva. Not many of them know the real story. Many of them haven't had more than like one or two types. So we're introducing the chance to sort of do a tasting and taste different ones. And every good cocktail bartender tastes something new to them or not. And they're like, they start to think about how they can use it in a cocktail. And with Geneva, it's very nice because you have classic cocktails to fall back on like the Martinez mm -hmm. and the Collins and we've only been around for a year and a half but you know we're on the cocktail menu of every world's 50 best bar in New York uh, almost all of them in London we launched yep. at the end of October um, people understand this what I really like is when people make creative cocktails that I would never have dreamed of like the one at the Nomad Hotel in New York which is rye whiskey Old Duff Geneva 100% malt wine Oloroso sherry a teaspoon of banana liqueur, agricole rum, and a brown butter fat washed falernum, all like served old fashioned style. It's amazing. It's kind of going at the Geneva from the sort of funky aspect. Yeah. Which I, and then the Savoy in London has a cocktail for two, sort of an old fashioned style and a champagne cocktail 
with uh, Bombay Sapphire Old Duff Geneva and one of the products of an incredibly innovative distillery called Empirical Spirits in Copenhagen. And it's served as a champagne cocktail. Okay. And again, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a good mixologist. I spent a couple of decades in the trenches, but even that is beyond what I could have thought of. And I'm really happy when people do that. Yeah. Now, did you, as a brand, come out with specialty cocktails when you, when you launched? Or are you just sort of waiting to see what the bars are coming up with? We push the Collins. We push the Martinez. I think they're remarkable. Mm. I always encourage people to have it in an Alexander, which is a creamy cocktail. Yeah. Right? Because I love creamy cocktails. And I really advise people to have it as a Boilermaker. Oddly enough, I was in Boilermaker Bar here in Melbourne last night. It was brilliant. It was my first time. Yeah. But beyond that, having been a, a cocktail bartender before we were called mixologists, you know, brands come along. They've got their nice little shiny leaflet and all that. And even if the recipe is good, you tend to reject it to some degree. You want to kind of make it your own. You've got your own ideas. Yeah. So we don't push it too much. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the two expressions that you've got. What is the difference between the two of them? Right. So there's a black bowl. That's the 100% malt wine Geneva. And that is the unicorn. There's only three like that in the whole world. And that's what Geneva was until the 1870s or 1880s. So mm -hmm. it's a mash of two-thirds rye, one-third barley, a five-day fermentation, three times through the pot still. And then you take two little portions of that liquid, you redistill one with a tiny amount of juniper and the other one with a tiny amount of English brambling hops. And then you combine those three distillates together and you bottle it at 45% alcohol. So that's like stepping back in time. Right. It's marvelous stuff. I thought originally I would sell one bottle of that for every five bottles of the other one. Right. Um, but actually sales are like 50-50. Everybody loves okay, it to a way that yeah. I was surprised. The other one, Green Bottle, which is called simply Old Duff Geneva. And that is the black bottle. But instead of being 100% malt, it's been diluted to 47%. So it's like a luxury whiskey if you right. will okay right and the 47 percent is neutral column distilled wheat alcohol also from holland and uh, the botanicals are different too it's still a tiny amount but now there's six of them so there's juniper of course orange lemon coriander there's three citruses mm -hmm. and then star anise and licorice right. so that more that's more like the geneva would have been between 1880 right up until you know prohibition 1919 or so okay and it's also for people both in holland and outside holland that would be recognizable to them. Oh, that's Geneva. That's old style Geneva. Because 100% malt wine is so rare, even the vast majority of Dutch people haven't had it. Really? Yeah. Okay. There's a, the best-selling one before Old Duff launched was the one from the distillery, which makes Old Duff, called Notaris. It's a beautiful 100% malt wine. And it sells around 1,000 bottles a year. And in the first year of Old Duff, just in New York State, we sold 1,001, something like that. So we are narrowly in the lead. Yeah. Uh, and so the green bottle is also a little bit more attractively priced. They're both very attractively priced, but the green bottle enables bartenders to, without a second thought, put it on a cocktail menu, put it in a uh, speed rail, put it on a menu as a boiler maker. I think they're both brilliant. And in blind tastes, people really can't choose between them. When people can okay. see them, they like the black bottle, which you saw yesterday, because yeah. the packaging is a little sexier. Yeah. Right? But liquid-wise, I think they're both brilliant. Okay. Which one would be better for cocktails? Would it be the green one? I honestly think it is. I think it's more versatile. Right. Yeah. Right? And it's the fact that it's a little bit lower in uh, ABV it lends itself better. But you can make everything with the black bottle to the 100% malt wine. Mm. Now, if someone were to buy a bottle of the green and take it home, how would you recommend that they use it? Uh, well, I would have it with beer, but I would also recommend absolutely, without a shadow of hesitation of a doubt, have a Collins. 
right? Just squeeze some lemon juice, mix the Geneva with lemon juice, sugar syrup, ice, and uh, some some sparkling water or soda water, and mm. that's a cause. It's amazing. You can even just if you don't fancy doing any of that, just mix it with lemonade. Yeah, right. It is it, because it's a delicious unaged whiskey. Effectively, you have all the flavor, but you don't have the uh, vanilla and the tannins from the wood. Right. So yes. you, you get a very clear flavor. I know you and I had some yesterday, and it is. I think a Collins is better with Geneva than almost anything else. Okay. So that would be the starter drink. Yeah. Now, since the green one has a lot of botanicals in it, what other flavors do you think work well with it? So if someone were going to try and make a cocktail that was slightly more complicated, what other flavours sit well? Yeah, uh, again, it's good to err on the side of, of whiskey mixology. So I was at the chef Jose Andre's new place in New York called Mercado, and my friend's the beverage director is Spanish. So he loves his highballs. He loves his giant gin and tonics and all that. And he had the bartender make us uh, a, a range of highballs. Mm. And probably the one I liked the best was with ginger ale. Okay. Right, a simple buck, if you will. Yeah. So ginger ale and a bit of a squeeze. Uh, it's very good with ginger beer. But the spiciness of a good biting ginger beer does tend to overwhelm the Geneva just right. a little bit. Yeah. Right. And mixology-wise, I love putting it into uh, old fashions, like endless combinations with the bitters that you use. Mm. And you can tease out elements of flavor because, again, it hasn't been, like, softened by wood. It's got quite an assertive flavor. Yeah. And there's interesting things you can pull out. The citrus, particularly in the green bottle, is really, really interesting. It lends itself well to sours, rickies, bucks, things mm. like that. Like a Geneva sour is a marvelous drink. Yeah. Now let's talk about the bottle. They're incredibly elegant. They meant to represent old Geneva bottles, or they are. Uh, these are the the style of the bottle. It's uh, you know, sort of wide shoulders tapering down to slightly narrower base. Is the first ever glass Geneva bottle shape. Okay. Right. Yeah. So initially, Geneva and all spirits were packaged in like you know earthenware crocks, and you still see that today. But the uh, first glass bottles were the ones in the shape of Old of Geneva. And I just adore them, which is why I picked them. And they were made that way because you could like get a case of them, wrap them up in straw, and you could unload at docks where there wasn't even a wharf or a ramp or anything mm. to roll barrels down because Geneva was the world's number one export spirit. It had a raging trade in like West Africa, throughout the Caribbean, South America, all throughout uh, Indonesian, Asia Pacific, mm. because everywhere that the Dutch people went, uh, equipped their sailors with Geneva, they traded with Geneva, they used it as a trading good. Yeah. And yeah, you didn't always have the harbour facilities. So those were, they were called cellar bottles or case bottles. And to me, it is the, the iconic Geneva bottle. So I had to have it. Now on the label, there is good. There is a goat. Do you want to explain why there is a goat? <laughs> yeah, well, we went through a few different iterations of it, and not every label proposal even had uh, a space for a goat. But typically, the bottle, if you look at it, it's got slightly wider shoulders, and it really lends itself to having a circular medallion on the label. And once you have a medallion, you've got to put something in it. Yeah. And historically, you always put animals in there. Because Geneva was being sold in places where people didn't necessarily speak English. And you could communicate the brand values of an animal. So if it was old and strong, you'd put an elephant in there. If it was right. young and spicy, you'd have like a monkey or okay, uh, you yeah. know, some kind of a bird or something. And uh, my uh, daughter really wanted to have a unicorn because she was 12. Uh, but that didn't fly. 
And the village that I'm from in Ireland is called Skerries, and it's where the saint, St. Patrick, used to live. He was a real person, and he had a goat. And he went away one day goating, uh, or sainting rather, and he comes back. My ancestors have stolen it, killed it, cooked it, and eaten it. And when he asked them about it, they lied about it. So he was mad, and he took everyone's voice, and he replaced it with the bleating of a goat. So if you're from my village, you're, you're nicknamed a goat, and I needed something to put in the label, so it was a goat. Fair enough. With a spirit that has so much history behind it, is it difficult to innovate? No, I don't think so. Uh, having said that we need to educate people about the whole category, uh, I feel you've got to get your basics right. I'm really happy with the two that I have in my range. There's a little bit of a craft spirits boom going on in Holland uh, at the moment. Mm. And there's like, you know, little lads and distilleries jumping out of the ground doing some really innovative stuff. One of them's even trying to do a non-alcoholic Geneva. Right? Okay. And there's right. always been people trying to do like flavors because the concept of Geneva for a Dutch person is actually this vodka-like stuff. So there's yeah. loads of flavor Genevers. But uh, on a very small scale, I've seen distillers uh, doing things like uh, using spelt grains, um, doing uh, various aging experiments, you know, toasted barrels, peated, all that. I think it's brilliant. I wouldn't rule out doing a line extension in a year or so. I might like to look at something like a barrel finish, in which case it might be an Irish whiskey barrel finish right. or whatever, or uh, a cask strength one or both, mm. which I think is absolutely fantastic. But I'm conscious of not wanting to have like too many different bottles. It causes like logistical issues. When you have two, it's a really easy choice for people. Right. So, yeah. you know, probably for the near future, we might add one, but we're not going to be having, you know, a new one every year. Mm. I was about to say what will be the future for Old Dove, but I suppose there are still enough markets out there that you need to explore and educate and introduce it to that bringing out new expressions is not necessarily the primary focus. No, I mean, I'd like to do a special edition every year or two and we have to sort it out with the distillery the very very traditional distillery and see how we can actually work that out because they don't it's such an old distillery they don't use it all the time they fire it up a couple of times a year to make their stuff or my stuff yeah yeah uh so working out how to make that you know cost efficient to do like a very small production run Mm. and i've had people ask me you know, rather insistently that they want special edition of that or that. And when I, I've got plenty of historical styles of Geneva that don't exist anymore that we could do a second run of. Right, but at yeah. the moment, nothing's happening for the next three weeks because I'm going around Australia and Asia. So it's going to be a 2020 story, I think. Right, okay. What do you think is the biggest hurdle for the brand? Education. Okay. If you don't know it, you won't order it. I'm pretty happy uh, selling Geneva. Because it's a very easy to pronounce thing. Even if people say it wrong, they're happy enough to say it. Yeah. It's much harder to sell products like, you know, cachaça or things with names like Brokladach yeah. or whatever or Bunyahavain. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, but the biggest hurdle is just getting the word out so that people know what Geneva is and what it tastes like. Mm. And once they know that, they're confident as bartenders to order it and mix with it, as consumers to choose it off a menu, yeah. right? That they, or maybe even to go in and ask for a cocktail themselves. So it's 100% awareness and education. Okay. So is it mainly gin cocktails that you can replace it in? Or is it also whiskey ones as well? 
yeah, I'm going to contradict myself now and say that in mixology terms, mm. many of the oldest gin cocktails started out as Geneva cocktails, or they work as Geneva cocktails. Yeah. And uh, but then again, the same is true for whiskey, right? It's more, it's, it's easier probably to point out the ones that don't work. Like for instance, a brilliant one of my favorite uh, gin cocktails is a jasmine, right? Which is Campari gin. Uh, orange curacao and lemon juice yeah. amazing cocktail you make it with geneva it's awful it's really really bad right why why does it not work in those uh because what is, what is the... yeah because you're basically dropping whiskey in the form of geneva into a cocktail that works uh to a large degree because of the relative neutrality of the gin right, right. Okay. and in another gin cocktail like a bramble the famous bramble you know gin lemon juice creme de moor uh, blackberry liqueur mm. you drop uh, Geneva in there absolutely amazing it's fantastic yeah. you know like gin was the original ingredient of the Alexander cocktail drop Geneva in it's even far far better yeah. so I wouldn't say it's a hard and fast rule and I don't like to get Geneva mixed up with gin because the flavours are so far apart it's yeah. a big mistake that many brands have made they're like hey you like gin you should try Geneva you really should not right. you know <laughs> unless you're a very adventurous drinker um the whiskey thing, whiskey's probably the safer bet. Like every whiskey cocktail can be made with Geneva right. and it'll be, uh, it'll be intriguing. But the ones that do cross over from gin to Geneva, they're, they're pretty great. Okay, cool. If people want more information, I presume they go to the website? They do. Uh, if, if we're, well, I am very old-fashioned myself, so you do need to go to the website or you could go to uh, any of the social media, be it LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and it's always like at Old Duff Geneva, or indeed myself uh, on Instagram, I'm Philip S. Duff, P H I L I P S. Duff, and on Twitter, it's just uh, plain old Philip Duff without the S. Right. So there's somebody on uh, on Instagram who got Philip Duff ahead of me. And uh, contact your happy local proof and company representative who are the importers and distributors for Australia and the Asia Pacific region. That's actually the region I'm here. Okay, and whereabouts is it? Internationally, whereabouts is it available? So, uh, New York State in the US, one bar in North Carolina, the Crunkleton, uh, the United Kingdom. We just launched, and I'm very happy about this, about six weeks ago in the Netherlands. It will never be a big market, but it is absolutely vital that it be available in the country where it is made. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, in the, the end of the next three weeks, it will be Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, and all of mainland China. Plus additional markets that I don't get to visit this time, like New Zealand, right. where Proof & Co go. And I'm going to tag on, because it's a mates distributorship, the Nordics, so Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. Okay. So we'll do some sort of a launch event, God knows when, before the end of the year. Yeah. And then that'll be it. Then I'm taking a breather for Christmas. <laughs> you sound like you've been very busy up till then. It's really caught up on me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be tackling the rest of the states aside from New York State? I am actually negotiating with somebody to take over all the USA for me because I just wanted to start in New York City and, and I'll build a base there and mm. eventually go everywhere. But now my mates in the rest of America are like getting actively pissed off and they can't get hold of it. So I, oh, that's a good sign. It is great. It is great. I mean, the U.S. is like, it's unutterably vast. Mm. You know, it's like Australia, but with people. So it's, it's so much work. Each state is another country, and you yes. need completely different paperwork and all that sort of thing. Yes, so no, of this partner, an old friend of mine who has, you know, USA-wide distribution, as soon as we get the deal done, they will be able to roll it out to, to every single bar in the okay, U.S., every, every good bar. 
And that's what we're looking in the next six months? Uh, yeah, certainly have the agreement by the end of the year. And then it would roll out slowly. Like there's not even the biggest companies in the world, the Diageo and Pernos, can't do a USA wide launch in one go. Yeah. You just you have to <laughs> permit the phrase stagger it. Uh, and I want to be there to you know shake people's hands to do the launches. Mm. Right? Yeah. People want to meet the founder. They want to hear the story. So I would imagine it would be first uh, California and then uh, Texas, Illinois, Florida. Uh, Pennsylvania, because those five or six markets consume something like 60% of all the spirits in the USA. Wow. Yeah, I know. Five hard-drinking states. Five big states as well. Anyway, look, thank you very much for joining us, Philip. Um, And we'd encourage everyone to go out and grab a little Geneva. Go and drink Geneva. It's Old Duff Geneva is in all the good bars. And if they don't have it, it's not a good bar. So ask the bartenders to stock it. Thank you very much, Tiff. It's been marvellous. Cool. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.